Today, I'm talking to AJ Powers with Powers Premier in San Diego, California. In real estate since 2007, AJ began his career doing BPOs for an REO team. After that, from 2013 to 2018, he was a member of the team ranked number one in San Diego by the Wall Street Journal and number five in the state of California. Today, he runs a highly successful brokerage firm, Powers Premier, and leads agents through RestructureTeam.com to grow their businesses. He and I talk about how to grow from agent to team. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and our business to the next level. All right, everybody. It's the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. Today, we have a really special guest. AJ Powers with Powers Premier Brokerage in San Diego, and he has also become very renowned and quite the expert in helping other agents become successful. AJ, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So let's just get started by telling us a little bit about your market, yourself, and how in the world you got into this business. Well, I'm still pretty young. Uh, I actually started... I got my license when I was 19 and um, pretty much knew my parents moved around a bit when I was in high school and I kind of enjoyed the process. I was young enough to think loving homes and seeing homes was what being in real estate was. And so I was excited about that aspect of it. And so I took all the classes in junior college, became an admin on a really successful KWREO team because that was the only thing that was around in 07, 08 and really fell in love with the business. I think being in the REO side, you get to see a lot more of how a structured business runs because there's so many other aspects to the accounting, the upkeep of the properties, working with the asset managers, doing BPOs and MMRs and things that people today are like, what what are you talking about? I have no idea what any of that is. Um, So I got to see structuring of a business, how a buyer's agent on an REO team works because there are so many sign calls and opportunities to market properties that we don't necessarily have now. So I got my license. I was really fortunate. We had so much inventory that the first month I had my license at 19, I closed five transactions and that was just hustling open houses. That's when Craigslist was out and Postlets and all these things that. Oh, I forgot about that. Actually. I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah. We had, I mean, at one point we were getting two to 300 assets a month from Fannie, Freddie and different places. And so you have all these off market listings that you can market. And that's what I did. I went home after my job and I started marketing properties. I do open houses every Saturday and Sunday. I also started a landscaping company, which fortunately the broker I worked under let me manage and maintain their REO listings. So at 21 years old, I was making a really good living I had my own business selling real estate, doing landscaping, and I decided I was going to go for it and become a full-time agent at that point. So So at 21, you're working on an REO team, and it's like, what is it by then, 2009? 
Yeah. So I started, I got my license in eight. So I started in seven as an admin for about a year. And I stayed in an admin. And when I say admin, I was doing mainly BPO and MMR. So I've probably done 12 to 15,000 BPOs. It was all wow. like every day. So analyzing properties and deals and keeping the banks informed on values in the market. How many BPOs did you do a day? Um, at one point, I was probably doing eight to 10 BPOs. Okay. I didn't do any of the driving. We had everyone ran out, did pictures, brought it back. Um, so I was doing all the new incoming BPOs and the updated MMRs for all of our inventory. And so that wow. was that was a great learning experience because I really got to understand a lot about how the market was impacted by different things, how uh, you know one home is worth more than another based on adjustments and comps. So that's something I really think made me a great agent was understanding the value of a home when you're going to a listing appointment or helping a buyer write offers, not blindly looking at the list price and writing an offer based on that. And so I got a really good understanding of the business quick. And that yeah. was really important for me. And I only made 10 bucks an hour the first year. And by the second year, I made a lot more than that. And I bought my first home at 21. I bought my first uh, investment property at 21. I had two cars and I was, I mean, stupid, right? I mean, 21, you're, you're doing all this stuff, spending money that you don't realize should go elsewhere. But I got a lot of learning experience in a little bit of time, which I think really just kind of put me on the right path long term. So that was, you know, 2007, 8, 9, 10. We didn't know it, but we were kind of out of the recession. Multiple offers were happening even in Atlanta. Um, For us, that didn't happen until about 12. Okay. So 10, 11, 12 was kind of a what's happening with the market. We're not sure. There's still short sales. There's still REOs. They're definitely not as many, but there's really no traditional in our market yet. And so 10 to 12, I, I just kind of stayed afloat, did decent those years. And for me in 12, I was only 25. So I actually drove down and hung out with a friend here in San Diego and had no ties other than family. And I said, you know what? I'm ready for a change. I'm going to move down to San Diego. And within two weeks, I was here in San Diego, knowing no one, having nothing. And I just, I took a risk and, and a gamble. And uh, fortunately, it paid off. And I've been here ever since. Wow. So what do you think? I mean, obviously, you started out getting a lot of experience really fast. I mean, I think we, um, Jonathan Spears is an agent on the show, and he's doing over $100 million a year in, on 30A, Sandustin, Panama City. It's not Panama City, but that's Sandustin, for those of you who don't know, or near Dustin. But he, did, he started his career doing BPOs. Yeah. So he just started his career like learning the business at, you know, studying it quickly and learning to move fast. I think that gave him the mindset in addition to the gifts he already had. What would you say, did that help? Or how did you know? to take the risk of just kind of learning, having your knowledge and then just running out, running with it. Um, I think it definitely helped. I mean, I have always had a really good work ethic. Even now I work more than any of the agents in my company. I mean, six, seven days a week, I'm here at 6 AM getting home to the kids at seven. And that's just how I've, my dad was a mechanic. My mom worked for the state. All I saw was hard work. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I think that was the driver more than anything was, I think I can figure it out no matter what. And most people don't have that mindset. They're too scared to take a risk because what if, what if it doesn't work out for me? It was like, 
this is exciting. I've got a new market. The price points are great. I get to meet new people, take what I've learned. Sacramento was great, but I was done with it. So there was really no downside. Worst case is I went back and I stayed with my parents for a year and got back on my feet. So it was not a big deal for me to come down here and start fresh. How hard was it? It was challenging. I mean, it was, if the market was like it is today, it'd be way easier because in 12, there was just rates were five, six. There wasn't any like huge driver to buy. People weren't sure if the, the market was going to go up or down. So the first year it took me six months to close my first transaction here. And it was starting to get a little worrisome. And then for me, it was just a matter of everything I've been doing for six months came to fruition. And I think that's also where most people fail is they just forget that that transaction you just got wasn't from nothing. It was all the work you've put in 90 days to six months ago. And then, you know, it's that cycle of I've got three deals. I forget the prospect. I don't do the things that got me here. I close the three deals or one falls out and now I'm panicking again because I have nothing else in the pipeline. So for me, it was always seven, eight hours a day regimented where I was calling ARIA or excuse me, internet leads or trying to meet B2B partners because we could actually go places and see people face to face. Open houses. I would do an open house if I was a new agent uh, every day. Now uh, the people that think open houses only work Saturday and Sunday, they just have the wrong mindset. I mean, where else can you sit down at a house and people just show up and come into your door for to do free? business? Yeah. Right. Make your calls from an open house or do things that are actually going to make you money. So, because we're going to get into detail on that, yeah. but first I want to get the big picture so we really know who we're. Who, everybody knows who we're asking these questions from. So 12, you started your career. It took a good six months. You got your traction. You start closing deals. But I mean, 2012 was only eight years ago. Yeah. Now you've got a brokerage with 30 agents and you're running a business that coaches agents on what to do and how to do it. Right. How, did, how were you able to get that traction and propel that way and, and continue on the positive tra- trajectory of growing? How did you know what to do when? Sure. So I actually, the broker that I ended up with here first, um, I'm not going to name names. I don't know if you want me to really good guy. The market was weird. He wasn't making the money he was used to decided he was going to take a, a one year sabbatical and take his family to China for a year. Oh, wow. So yeah, very big change out of the blue. And he said, Hey, I've got this guy who I think you should talk to see if you guys click. And I met with him. He had a team here in San Diego and it just, I didn't really have a lot of other choices because I didn't know people. So I ended up joining this team. And basically my first year, I was the rookie of the year on his team. Um, and then I really got to see a lot of their systems, learn the market locally because San Diego is huge. Um, and that was probably one of the most challenging aspects is how do you learn everything from the border of Mexico up to Oceanside, which is can take you an hour and a half just to drive north to south. So it was a lot of learning and a lot of seeing. And this is also when marketing and technology really started to change too. Drones had just come out and Matterport was coming out shortly after and ways you could stand out in the market. So for me, it was how do I get to that next level of not just being a great agent, but being really, really stand out and having consistency and, and growth. So yeah. that team, 
became the number one team in San Diego from 2013, I think till 17 or 18, I left in 16 to start our brokerage. Um, but those three years, I mean, there was one point where I had multiple months, I, I had six figure commissions and that wasn't just on big transactions. I was doing 10, 12 transactions in a month. The average agent in San Diego does one and a half transactions a year. If you do 25 wow. transactions here, you're in the top 1%. So it, it's a very cut for a competitive market. And there are no agents, basically, maybe a handful that do 10 transactions a month by themselves every month. But it was really just about, I, mean, I have this picture, one of the agents in our company sent me, which was, it was in the middle of the night. It's this huge office building and there's one light in one office. And she said that to me, she said, that's you in that office because it was, I mean, uh, Saturday night, I would be at awesome. the office at 1.30 AM drinking coffee because I was working on stuff. And that was yeah. my work ethic that I'm going to figure this out no matter what. And I think that's really where I've just always had that mentality. And that's probably been my biggest driving factor of where we're at today. That's awesome. What, what do you, what is it that drives you to be successful? You had great examples, but plenty of people have examples. There's something in here that drives you. What is it that drives you? Well, I was always competitive athlete younger. And so I started racing cars when I was four years old. I played baseball, golf, hockey, and oh, hockey. Those, that's it. Yeah. Anything's easy after hockey. Keep going though. Hockey. Yeah. It's, it was a matter of, I like to win. And my dad is a very competitive person. He is definitely not the softer generation. You know, I was raised pretty firmly and, um, but I loved the aspect of winning and being the best. And for me, that translated into this, like, I hate to lose. Even if I love you, I don't want to see you beat me. That's just my personal driver. And then also, I mean, we've got a family of five, so it, it's not cheap, especially here in California. And I don't want to live paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to work the rest of my life. I want to have a financial plan that allows me to retire at 45, 50 latest. And that takes a lot of money. So yeah. how do you get there quickly and how do you scale that and still be able to have a life? I like to play golf. I like to be, I have a 14 month old seeing her grow up, you know, so yeah. there's a lot of factors to why I want to succeed. So you, and I heard you say five kids. Is that what you said? Five. Three kids. Three. So it's five of us. Oh, five people. I'm like, five. Your yeah. Wife. Were they all hers? Just say, is a one? <laughs> a two. And that was good. Yep. So you were on an REO team doing basically like about 10, 10 BPOs a day, which everybody broker price opinion. You're basically doing a really detailed CMA, comparable, yep. comparative market analysis. And then you're on a team, you kind of just got in the right places to get the right background. You're on a team in a market where most agents sell a house maybe two a year and you're selling 10 to 12 a month. And that wasn't every month. I mean, I, definitely not every month, but I yeah. had months like that. And it so was, what was the difference. What was the difference between you and that team and everybody else? Well, I would say a lot of it was, process systems, knowing how to generate leads, being willing to spend money to market yourself. Uh, Cause most people take that commission check, they put it in the bank, they live off of it for six months because they don't know when the next one's going to come. I've always had the mindset of if I spend it the right way, 
I don't need to worry about that next check because this listing is, should bring me three more transactions. And we had a massive process for listings that would generate three to four more transactions out of just about any listing. So for me, it was, how do I invest this into things? CoreFact was pretty new. So we were using CoreFact on all of our listings and I wasn't sending one mailer to 250 homes. I was sending five to seven pieces to 500 homes. You know, it's, it's a numbers game. You need to talk to enough people or have enough people know who you are or market to enough people consistently in order to have that consistent business. If you're gonna mail and you do one piece one time, you're wasting money. If you're going to call a neighborhood one time, door knock at one time, not, branding doesn't work that way. And I always tell people, if, if you're getting into a neighborhood that's not brand new, someone else has been trying to farm this market for a period of time, whether it's six months, a year or 10 years, you have to stand out. So how we really stood out was we went the extra mile. When we did open houses, we put out 50 to 75 signs. We hand door knocked every neighbor before our open houses. We did neighbors only open houses, invited them for wine and cheese or pizza and beer to let them get the first peek at the property. And so it was, it was a matter of being better than other people. And we focused on how do we add more value? And a big part of that too was most people get four and a half or 5% on a listing. We were getting six at three and a half, two and a half. So justifying your value when you can make an extra percent on every listing you take, that money goes a long way. And I think that is something that we've always pushed senses. How can you stand out? What's your value? If you can't tell me what your value is as an agent, why should I hire you as a client? That doesn't make any sense to me. So question, two questions over that. I'm not going to let you answer the first question first, but I'm just going to ask it and we're going to go, but I'm just going to give you a heads up because most people want to know, what do you do to stand out? How do you make, have about, you know, because so many agents don't know what makes them special. So everybody, we're going to get that answer. I do want to say though, to really get the full picture and make sure we don't run out of time. Hearing you talk about that and being in this business for so long, when you know that the business that you will generate, what you just said you do, here's what I hear. When you do that, the business you generate is so incredible because so many people don't even do half of that. Right. Just doing that is what makes you stand out, first of all. Absolutely. The question is, once you generate that kind of business, the challenge is making sure you deliver over and over and you to be able to multiply and not stop delivering at the highest level. Sure. Which that's my question and everybody else's, but I know there are, we've got an audience that's wanting to, the answers to both. How do you want to answer that to best articulate? Well, which, which would you rather me start on? The second one. Okay. So which is how do you, how do you, when you market that way, you are undoubtedly, and when you deliver in that way, you're undoubtedly going to blow up your business. Right. When you do, how do you continue to ensure with the, that you got the people and processes in place to continue to deliver at a level that high? Okay. So for me, one thing that I heard and was taught very, very early on was as soon as you can afford to hire an assistant, you need to hire one. And that doesn't mean you have to have a full year of their salary in the bank sitting there, 
That just means you need to be able to make enough money to keep them on staff, whether it be through your transactions or the value they add. You need to have someone there who can take all of your busy work, all the non-income producing stuff off of your plate so you can focus on the things that make you money. And so for me, it was a matter of, all right, let's see how much money I made this past year. Let's see what I'm projecting this next year. And you know, if I'm going to bring someone on in our market, 18 to $20 an hour is pretty average for a good assistant. Even if they've had no real estate experience, that's kind of where it takes to get someone that's worthwhile. So, you know, if you can afford to pay them for three to four months and not worry about paying your own mortgage or rent and things like that, you need to hire someone that can remove the busy work. Because what I like to do is say, okay, if this month I made $10,000, let's break that down by how many hours I worked and let's figure out how many of those hours were income producing versus non-income producing. So if I'm so busy that I'm now taking five hours of my day to set up my listings, to do MLS input, to put lock boxes on, to do social media, that means three hours is where I really made that $10,000. The three hours I spend every day doing my production uh, or my uh, prospecting, I should say, that three hours is my money-making time. So if I could double that by giving everyone else my busy work, then I should double my income immediately too, you know, 90 days down the road. So I think it's a matter of not being scared of not being able to afford an assistant because they're going to make you more money. That's, that's the mindset you need to have. Right. Is if I free up all this time, I'm going to make more money. So how do you go from an assistant to team members? How do you structure what team member does? What is that different for different people? I think it's dependent on how you've built your business because not everyone like in our market, most people are buyer based. We don't have a lot of people that really do huge numbers on the listing side. And I think that's partially because it's easier to generate buyer list, uh, buyer leads than seller leads. It's also cheaper. And I think for most people it's less risk because you know what, if I pick up the phone and I call this lead that just came in and they don't like me, that's okay. I'll move on to the next lead. When you go to someone's house and you sit down at a listing appointment and you don't get that listing, that's tough on your mindset. You lose confidence and you worry that you're not a very good listing agent. Or if you take listings that don't sell because you are the average agent who says it's worth 10% more than it actually is and doesn't say we need to stage it, you need to do this, you've got to do that because you're scared of offending them or losing the listing because for whatever reason, that's not how you run your business most people end up doing more buyer stuff here. Right. So what I would figure out, number one is, am I really busy enough to hire another agent? Can I say there's enough leads or potential deals in my business for two of us? If the answer is no, you're either not ready or you need to figure out how to generate those leads. So you don't bring someone on who has the expectation of not only paying you say 50%, but, being busy and making a lot of money. And one of the other reasons you join a team is either mentorship or you don't want to do the work that it takes to generate the leads or you don't have the money to do it. So if you bring me on as a buyer's agent and you don't have leads that keep me really busy, I'm not going to stay. And you're going to find it's going to be a revolving door of people that come in and expect to get X number of leads a month. They're not there. And then it's your fault. I mean, you have to take ownership of your business. And so for me, it's a matter of let's go through how many leads you generate a month. 
are you going to keep someone busy enough? Or do you have a lot of listings that someone could go do open houses at, door knock around, circle dial around their listings? I need a way to generate enough business on your team to pay you 50%. That's the whole thing or whatever the split's going to be. And so I think for most people, that's the first step is, am I that busy? Or do I just feel busy because I don't have good processes? I let my clients run me ragged. I have no boundaries. There's a lot of different reasons people feel busy. So for now, we're just going to sidetrack to another question. <laughs> How, well, I'm going to ask you, we're going to talk about setting boundaries too. Okay. But this team, but first, let's just say you're at a hundred million a year which in every market, that's a very different number. Absolutely. But let's say you're at, you know, of your agents on your team, everybody's doing 10 to 15 deals a year. I think at any given time, any agent can reasonably handle up to seven deals at a time. And once they exceed, and I think seven's a lot for a lot of agents, but let's sure. just say seven. Yeah. Seven, eight, seven deals. You've got, you know, a good running team. They've got their deals coming in. How do you, what does that look like for a team to have every agent running at ideal capacity, an ideal back office, and a lucrative, successful, well-oiled machine? What does that structure look like or how do you decide? Who does what? Right. Well, I think you have to decide if you like to produce because if you still want to produce and run a team, that's challenging because the team needs you to be the business owner and the CEO not someone they can't get a hold of, not someone they can't role play with, not someone that can't take almost a broker type role with them where when they have legal questions or contract questions is there to help them. You need to be able to get with your staff consistently enough to go through what's going on in the business, to survey them, to overview what they do. So I think the people that try and produce at the same level and hire people underneath them, struggle because they don't want to give up the production side to spend time in the business working with those people individually. So I think the best teams are the ones where you have a rainmaker who has a great name, reputation, has the money there to build the team out, the know-how to run it. And they step back and they want to run it as a CEO. They say, hey, instead of me taking 50 transactions this year, I'll spread that out to five agents. And then I have all this free time to maybe bring on five more agents that I can spend time with and they do 50 as well. So it's a matter of, do you know how to run a business, a true business? And I, when I say business, it means if I left tomorrow, it would keep running. If I wasn't there, if I was on vacation, it doesn't need me until it's at that point, you have a job. That's my personal opinion. So here's, here's the two, Again, I keep like going off into two questions. We're going to talk about boundaries also, okay. deciding what makes you special. We're going to hit on that. Okay. But going into this, I get very selfish on these interviews and start just That's asking okay. questions for me. But I think it's very relevant to our audience. You've got people who want to build a team and run a team, but they built their business and their reputation. And now it's a lot of teams fail. You just answered it. Many people don't know what teams don't fail because I don't know how to structure the team. You just kind of said without saying teams fail because you're trying to run a team and be a producer. You can't be really good at both of those things. Right. How do you, if you're going to really run and have a team, how do you transition from, okay, it's not just me anymore. Now it's the team. 
how do you transition that, especially in the luxury and the high, and you're in a market in San Diego, your high price points are naturally higher. Right. How do you get into that transition? And once you get into it, how do you know it's going to work and be just as lucrative? Because now the money's getting, the margins are tighter. Well, I think it's honestly really hard in general to have a luxury team. I think partnerships work really well in luxury markets. You don't necessarily need 10 agents to run a good luxury setup. Usually with luxury, you want more admin support, marketing, video, stuff that's going to make you stand out in that market. I don't think having more agents means more money in luxury, in my opinion. So what I would say is if you want to be a team leader, pick volume, number of transactions you can do, figure out what areas make good money. Because we talked briefly before the show, in our market, anything over like three or 4 million may take six to 12 months to sell. And you're also going to invest a lot more money in marketing that property that you may never get back. There's higher expectations. There's usually more emotion because it's a high price point. And I think that it's hard to scale for most people in luxury. They're, they love the big commission they make every once in a while, but don't realize if they went down into maybe a middle tier of pricing, they'd probably make more money if they just did twice as many transactions. I, again, I mentioned taking one listing and getting four deals out of it. It's much easier to do that in a price point where there's a lot more buyers and sellers moving, which I think the middle ground for us, that's like the one to one five price range here in Carlsbad, where it's going to sell in under 30 days. You can still do open houses. You don't have to accompany at every showing or every inspection. It's leverage in my opinion, where I just think luxury, you need to be great at it. And you need to figure out what makes you different in that market. It's pretty hard to stand out in luxury because there's a lot of people, especially here with a lot of money, they're investing into marketing. They're usually connected in the community. They're doing networking. So I personally just in general don't love luxury. I mean, I'm, I'm a member at a country club where the average price points five and a half million dollars. And I don't, I don't market to anyone in that community. I make friends and they refer me business, but I don't want that market where things have been on and off the market for seven years. That's not building a business. That's saying I love high price points, whether or not I make a lot of money. And why do you think it is that so many people do aspire? Now, when you Google like luxury brand podcast, this podcast comes up, (laughs) but which is funny because that's apparently what our our listeners, I don't know how that comes up because it wasn't us, but (laughs) wonderful. I'm happy for it. But why do you think it is that so many people aspire to do luxury real estate? I think it's the broken mindset of, I only have to do a handful of deals in this price range to make a lot of money. And I have no my, idea what it costs, right? I have no idea until they lose. I mean, my worst loss was around $20,000 that I invested on one listing. And that hurts. You know, with, with yeah. a million and a million and a half, maybe we spend a few thousand dollars if we need to. You scale those losses up into multiple listings that don't sell. Now you're in the red and you're not making any money. And I think that people just like, they aspire because they love the houses. They love, you know, 10,000 square feet and these finishes and it's so pretty. And they're in love with this facade of, being a luxury agent, they're not in love with making money. I mean, really, I think that's what it comes down to is we run a business, the first 
job of a business is to make profit. And if you don't think that way, then you're always going to be chasing that vision of I, I should be a luxury agent. That's just my friends have a lot of money or I hang out with people that have a lot of money. That's who I should be. And honestly, I know people here in San Diego that their average price point is probably half of ours that probably make double what the average really good producer here does because no one's going after the four or $500,000 listings, but them. And they have very limited competition. They put on the market, they double in a lot of them because the price is so cheap that it's going to move like that. So I, I think the, the luxury market, and it's dependent on obviously where you're at for us, anything over again, three, 4 million takes a lot longer. And I hate to be the agent that's sitting there six months down the road, having the same conversation with the seller about you need to reduce the price, or maybe we'll try another open house. Or what if we did this? I want them to be happy because I sold their place in a week with 15 offers. And that's a much more enjoyable business for me too, where my clients are happy and we take a listing and we get paid 45 days later. That's our average right now, like worst case scenario. Well, and you have the ability to build the team so that when you're in a more moderate price point, I mean, a million, a million and a half is a lot of money here in Atlanta, just so you yeah. know. No, it's, I lot, understand it's, it's right. a lot. That's a luxury market down here. I, um, so. I, I always tell people, I didn't sell a home over 300000 for five years in my career. Wow. That's, Sacramento was so cheap and down in the market that I bought a condo, two-bedroom condo for $14,000 in 2008. That's the market I was in for a really long time. So when I came to San Diego, my first deal here was $550,000. And well, this, this is amazing. That was luxury to me. I have a buddy in Indiana, Jeff uh, Lyons. He's like, I, I'm on, going on my biggest listing appointment of my career. And he's been doing it for at least 10 years. He's a broker owner, $650,000. Oh, that's so, I, I think I know his name, Jeff he, Lyons. He's a great guy. So, and when he listens to the show, I'm like, yeah, Jeff, I know who, I know who you are. I did. I did. <laughs> okay. So, um, so back to this. So if you're building a team, if you're in luxury, you got to understand leveraging is a different ball game. It's about having back end, a really strong back end team, a really strong assistance, people who can really do the things administratively. So you get FaceTime with the client. Does that sum it up? They, they want you. And luxury, they don't want to be passed off to your admin or to a buyer's agent. They're hiring you. That's my opinion. So if you can't give them that face-to-face -face or that update they want every two days by text or call or whatever right. it might be, you're, you're failing. I think a lot of real estate success is managing emotions and expectations. And as you get busy, you forget to do that with people. And then they're reaching out to you looking for updates. And in the luxury market, if they're asking you what's happening, that's really not going to be a good scenario with most sellers. They want you to keep them informed the entire process and what you're doing differently every day to try and sell their home, where at the average price point, the seller doesn't care as much, in my opinion, about what you're doing every day. They just want to know, hey, what's happening in the market? Is there anything else we can do? What do you think is going to come next? And I think the luxury sellers very have, different. Uh, very different. And they're people I usually don't love working with personally. We do, but that's our problem as a team. Yeah. We just, we love the luxury market. We just, I don't know. We all say how much fun we have with it. There's a lot of room for creativity 
as well. But sure. back to your expertise, I do remember selling my first house for $140,000. Yeah. It was in Las Vegas. And I remember my realtor would call me every Friday and I'm like, why does he keep calling me? Like, I was like, you don't need to call me. Like, I didn't even want to hear. I'm like, it's going to sell or not sell, but just don't call me. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was yeah. like, I was my dream client. I remember like, I was like, why does he keep calling me? I don't even need to know. I just like the signs in the yard, it's going to be done when it's done. Like, and Fisbo, I was like, never, I would never do that. Like who in their right mind wants to deal with that? I was in my twenties. So back to everybody, we talked about teams, structuring teams, leveraging with teams, leveraging with agents, administrative. I also would love to talk to you about setting boundaries and how you stand out over other agents. Let's finish up on kind of that team concept and I'd love if you've got time to dig into those other questions. So in building a team, just the quick synopsis, when, when you build a team, what does it look like in your, I call it the back office or administratively from people, people at the desk doing the work. How many are there per agent? Are there any per agent? What do the agents on the team do? What do they do? What do you do? What does your day look like? If you're yeah. an actual CEO running the team, not a producer, how do you make sure you make enough money? The gist of it is what is the infrastructure of it? That's okay. So from scratch, again, admin, I think, is your first hire. And what I think people tend to do when they hire for any role that is completely wrong is they don't have training built or a schedule set up or expectations for the person they're hiring until they bring them on and they realize, I don't know what I'm going to have this person do. What do they do every day? How do they do it? How do I train them on how to do it? Because that's the hardest part of hiring someone is taking the time out of your day Mm -hmm. to teach them what they need to do. So I highly recommend before you hire someone, you have all of that in place. You create the training. I love video. We do loom for all of our training. We record every program that we use has a loom video, loom.com 10 bucks a month screen recorder. It's amazing. So use loom. Every facet of my business has a video. So the CRM, Everything is searchable. You can type in filters and I've created a video on how to use filters in our CRM and that's across the board. So one now that it's created in loom and lives in the CRM. Um, we, we have an intranet that I've built out. So basically okay. I already have a hub. Okay. Um, but for me, it's a matter of one video lives forever. It doesn't need me. I create it one time and I can share it easily with anyone at any time or they can go back and revisit it. So I'm leveraged. You're talking about time. I don't want to ask, have people ask me the same question all of the time. If I can just do a video on how to do it once. So I record, I think we have a couple thousand videos at this point. Wow. Uh, start to finish the transaction. Uh, we went out and, and it depends too. If you're hiring a team or you have a team that is brand new people. Cause a lot of times if you're going to go onto a team, you're not, seasoned agent making great living you're bringing in newer people who need what you have or you're bringing people that are good at being an agent being they're good with clients they're good on presentations but they suck at generating business they need you to do that for them so what i wanted to do was have a whole process built out whether you are brand new so we have a new agent training and we have a buyer's agent training and a listing specialist training that i built out one time When you come on board, you go through that training start to finish until you're done with it. 
and you show me you can do all these things, you don't get leads. You don't get anything. You've got to start with training. So, so you put it, them through a program that they have to finish before you'll give them business. Correct. Yeah. Oh, I mean, God. for me, it's, it would be stupid to give them leads that cost me a lot of money if I don't know if they know how to work them or, or work our systems too. So I, and it's not months, a week to two weeks. And it's like any other job you go to, you're not going to just get thrown into the position, say, figure it out. There's going to be a training process and you're going to learn how things work at our company. So if you don't know how to do that, you don't want to do that. You really don't want to run a business in my opinion. You know, it's, it's about efficiency. And you asked, how do you keep the quality of service the same? It's by having all your people knowing how to do the things you do the same way. And it doesn't have to be 10 out of 10, eight out of 10. A lot of times is good enough to keep people happy. And one person I referenced with that is Gary V said a while ago, someone asked him, how do you get your employees in your company to be as excited about your business as you are. And he don't, said, you can't, they never will be. Yeah. yeah. Right? Don't expect them to ever be as excited as you because you will just like be miserable forever. They're working. For I love Gary V. What can I say? I know. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want people to know what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And if they can't figure it out, then the next process is you talk to this person. If you talk to that person and they can't figure it out, I want to be the very last person from, especially on an admin side where there's a process. You have a question. It doesn't automatically come to me with a phone call because then I'm picking up the phone all day and I can't do anything else. So figuring out your process, knowing, I mean, if you only have one admin, that's manageable. But if you have five agents and three admin, that's a business. And you need to be sitting down with the admin team for a meeting once a week. And you sit down with them individually, probably at least once a week. Because if you don't check in and show that you care and invest in them, they're going to leave or they're going to do a bad job. And that's all reflective of you. So I think that don't try and go too big. Start with an admin and get them really dialed in because they can now train any other admin that you bring in once they know how your business runs. It doesn't always have to be you. So on the training, you were talking about Loom is just a place to record screen recordings. Correct. But you were talking about you put agents through a training program that's two weeks. How, what, is that like an online course? Is that like a... Yep. It's all video and assessments that I've built out. There are different platforms out there like uh, Trainual, Thinkific. We use Kajabi, which is a big kind of e-commerce platform, but it's, it's really good for this too. Um, I've also, I'm pretty tech savvy. So I've built out a system for our company and other companies as well that basically houses all of our training, our listings, our documents, everything on one place, all of our links to all of our systems. Cause I find that the more systems you have, especially if, it, if you have to go to different locations to find them, the agents won't use them. It's going to be too challenging to adapt. So if everything's in one place and they know where to go to find everything, that's been a big, um, driver for taking on concepts and sticking with them versus, Hey, here's a new system, learn it, use it. And they don't know how to get there. They forgot what it even does. Cause the average agent doesn't want complicated anything. They need one place to go. And what, what's your, do you, your, you said that you have an intranet or do you like, right. I have, yeah, I have like Google Drive. Right. Okay. My, my hub is Google drive, right? We use Drive. It's it's integrated into it because obviously you want all your, your files in one spot. But this is more of my day-to-day -day running my business. So we have tracking forms the agents fill out. We have standings as well. So it shows 
how many calls you made, how many transactions you've done, volume. Because there That's needs a to CRM be, thing, isn't it? Uh, to an extent, yeah. A lot of this is brought in from like brokerment or different places into our system to analyze metrics that maybe a CRM wouldn't. The CRM's not necessarily going to go through and tell you right. lead source on all the transactions, average price point, break it down by agent. The so way did you, you build it? Did you build all of this out, or did you take different things and integrate them together? How did you do this? Eighty percent of it is technology that I've built out, and then the other parts are integrated with. Uh, programs like Zapier um, or like some of the analytics, the, the BI is different companies that they specialize in that. Cause I don't, I, I'm good with tech, but I'm not a developer. I was going to say, AJ, you say technology you built out. I thought we were interviewing like a realtor broker today. Now we're interviewing a tech guy. <laughs> so how did you build it out? What do you, did you integrate it with systems or did you, or you, yeah. you use the technology and you, built what you needed to run your team? Yeah. So I learned how to use this program called Webflow, which is a no code website builder basically. And so within that I've built out landing pages, funnels, our intranet, um, the event that I'm going to talk to you about here at the end, I built out the whole process through it. So basically I just learned that and I've done this with every system ever is like, I want to know everything about it. I want to know how it works and my mind, the spatial problem solving, that's really where I excel even in transactions. Like I see issues before they're happening or as they're happening. And I have a solution before everyone knows there was a problem and being through enough transactions and working with enough agents. I just know what people should have and need to succeed in my opinion, without sounding arrogant, um, you know, you have to have all these things. If you're going to build a business, if you want to be the agent that does one to three transactions, don't come here. Don't waste my time. Don't waste your time. I don't, I don't want to deal with the average agent. I want to deal with someone that wants to build something that's sustainable and is going to grow. And they're excited about because the average agent sucks. I mean, that's the reality is they don't have the training. That's what makes this business easy. There's a, there are a lot of agents but it's not as competitive as people think when most of the agents aren't really delivering the barrier to entry is too low. Yeah. And that's, um, that's a double-edged sword. You're dealing with those agents on the other side of transaction. That's also what makes this business the hardest, right? I mean, if they don't know what they're doing and they're advising their client every day, it's like pulling teeth, right? You're, you're working with someone who's almost incompetent, has no idea how to do anything. Now you're doing both sides of the transaction and trying to keep both sides happy. I mean, that's, to me, that's the biggest issue in our industry is too many agents and not enough training. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the brokerages will hire anyone. They won't train them. They won't care if they produce because maybe they have a desk fee or an EO fee or a sign-on fee and they're making their money off of escrow when they happen to close a transaction. Too many brokerages don't push per person productivity, which I think is the number one factor for any broker, just how many deals on average do agents do in my company? So what drove you to be different to do that? That's just how I am. I mean, I don't want to be average in anything. I want to be really good. And I want to bring people into my company, especially if they've already been with another brokerage and I show them what we have in place. People are like, I had no idea any of this existed. This is incredible. And that's what I want because that translates into client experience. And when clients are happy, then you're going to get more deals out of it. So it's, 
it's treating the agents like they're my client, they're my customer, and then mm-hmm. teaching them how to treat their clients. And that's just a snowball effect of if you're happy as an agent, your clients are going to be happy and it's going to be this big circle of, of gratification, whether it be through transactions or being here longer. Because most agents, they don't close a transaction in six months. They think it's the brokerage's fault. They're going to go somewhere else and try and find something that they didn't yeah. have in their brokerage. And I don't like having turnover. Exactly. Great. Well, great point because it does cause turnover to just take all of the agents, I'm sure. Okay. Absolutely. So we're going to tap in. I've got two, the two other topics. Just want to like tap in real quick to get some quick advice. And then we're going to do our quote final three that we okay. do on every show. Number one, we started at the beginning of talking about like as an agent, you've got to know what your value proposition is. What makes you special amongst the other thousands of agents in your market? Right. How do you determine that? So what I would say is there is, you're not special. I mean, the reality is there's nothing that you do that someone else in your market isn't doing. What you have to figure out is how to present that in a way that gets the client excited about what it's going to be like to work with you, what you're going to be able to do for them. So naturally I'm a very, like, this is me turned on like energy wise. I'm usually just mellow, low key, but I know that when I'm with certain people, have to present, I have to pitch, I have to be this person that they're going to be excited about when they work with them. So if you come in the door and you're just, let me pop down a CMA. I got my lockbox here. Like what price do you guys want? It's a presentation of what you can do, who you are and how it's going to be working with them. So one is have a lot of ways that you stand out because if your presentation is wow, right? between the pictures, the twilight photos, the lifestyle videos, have samples of things that you can do that other agents probably aren't sharing. Regardless of price point, you should do it on every listing because it really makes a big difference. Um, Especially today. Yeah, I mean- It's amazing how many agents won't do Matterport in video. I'm like, how can you be 2020 and you're not doing Matterport in video? If if you look at it from a business standpoint, let's just say your average, what's your average price point 250 you said? In Atlanta. In Atlanta. So at 250 and you're probably getting 3% there, right? Most of the time on the listing side. Our listeners is probably more like a million and our team is more like a million, but yeah, but either way, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. So even if you're on the lower end at 250 at 3%, that's $7,500. You have to be able to share that you're spending money to market their property. And it's not about you, right? I mean, you have to remember you're being hired to sell their home. So if you're saying my margins are too thin, one, sell more homes, two, go into a higher price point if that's really true, but you decide- You're just not too thin, just do it. Just just do it and, and be happy that you provide an excellent service because what you do is going to be shown to their family members, their friends, people in the area, the sellers, who haven't listed yet that are- Your entire market, your audience is waiting to see what you've got. Take the opportunity. It's a portfolio. That's really all a listing is, is something to share with someone else that you've already done. So boundaries. Boundaries. Man, that's a tough one. I'm not sure I'll ever learn about that. That boundaries one's a tough one. How do you set boundaries and still have your clients know you're living or delivering and feeling you're delivering at the highest level? I think it, number one, it comes down to asking them how they prefer to be communicated with to start. 
because some people want phone calls. Even if you like to text, it's not about what you like. It's about what the client likes. Exactly. So if they say, I don't text, I don't email, I'm 85 years old, I want you to call me. Then you say, okay, I'd be happy to provide you an update. Is once a week enough? No, I want twice. Okay, how's Monday at noon and Friday at noon? Can I call you those two times? And then if something comes up in between, obviously I'm going to reach out to you at that point. Would that work for you? Yes. So now you set an, an expectation with them that, all right, at least twice a week, you're going to call them. And unless something happens between now and then, you're not going to call them. And so for me, that's one big part is when do you want to be updated and how? And when I update you, what's the stuff you want to know about? Showings? Is it feedback? Is it other properties that have come on the market? Is it things that went into contract? I'm going to give you an update on things you care about. And then from there, I think it's a matter of saying, so for me, I would say, look, everything's going to feel like an emergency in real estate because you think it needs to be done right now. But the reality is no one's going to die. The house isn't going to be set on fire. And most of the time we can address it tomorrow morning or that evening if we need to, and it won't mess up the transaction. So if it's after 6 PM, I'm usually with my kids with doing dinner and putting them to bed. So if it's not urgent, shoot me a text or an email and I'll get back to you the next morning. If it is urgent, you can call me up until this time and I'd be happy to get back to you as soon as I can. But by letting them know you have other things outside of real estate, you're not saying you're not important enough to me. You're saying I have other things that are also important to me. And I hope you can respect that as my client because you probably have kids and other things you want to do. And yeah, you expect me to work 24 hours a day, but that's not how I work. And you know, eight, 10 hours a day should be plenty for me to help you accomplish all of your goals of selling your home. Or if you're AJ Powers, 13 or so should work too, right? I don't let them know <laughs> that. You I'm work long days, but they don't need to know that. Yeah. I, I tell them I start at eight and I finish usually around six, but I have my phone on me most of the time. And if it's not urgent, send me a text or an email and I'll usually respond to the text that night, but don't expect me to get back to you in five minutes and call you. Cause I've had, I've had people call me at three o'clock in the morning and I, yeah. I put my phone on mute now at nine o'clock. You couldn't even get a hold of me if you wanted to. That's, I need it. I don't want my hear, yeah. hear my phone buzzing in the middle of the night. So I wake up, I need that time to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what's important too, is that we give, we make sure we give the right clients attention. Sometimes there are clients who need attention. You have to figure out what's happening, address it, but keep the focus on not the, not the ones that, you know, solve the issue and keep the focus on all of the clients as they deserve, not the ones that are texting at midnight. Resolve yeah, I, whatever's causing that. I think, and a lot of lenders do this here. I do a Tuesday update at noon. I do this on Monday. If you set that expectation, then they know when they get to their inbox Monday at noon, they've got an email sent to them. And there's plenty of tech out there. Boomerang is a great Gmail app. You can schedule your emails to go out a certain time. So maybe on Saturday, you write all your emails and you schedule them to go out Monday at noon, like you said they would. And then you don't have to sit there Monday typing up emails or doing your calls. And I, I just think that if you tell them it's going to be one way, it, it, number one, it better be that way. But yeah. number two, then they don't feel like something is wrong. Because that's really what happens is when you go a long period of time updating your client, especially if it's a seller client, they feel like nothing is happening. They feel like you're not trying to sell their home. You're moving on to the next listing. 
you're not caring about their property enough and that's when you have issues. But if you say, here are all the things I'm doing during the week and you put that in your Monday email, we're doing some Facebook ads to target these people. Um, you know, we also talk to blah, 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 and they're going to be doing this. And then they feel like you're working for them. That's all they want is to know that you're trying to do your job. Exactly. Last, no, last three questions now. <laughs> okay. Number one, what has been the most powerful tool in your success? Is it the systems you build? Is it relationships? Is it a CRM? What is it? Well, I think it's understanding that you can have an old school business with new technology and a blend of those, in my opinion, is the best where you don't try and because I think right now, AI and automation, all these things, everyone's pitching that as the future of real estate. They don't replace conversations and connections. Those things should get people talking to you but they shouldn't do the conversation for you. So for me, it was a matter of how can I scale? So through systems and lead generation, and when they come in having drip campaigns and certain things that happen that don't need me, that's definitely important. But also knowing, okay, when I come in today, here's who I'm calling. Having a system to my yeah. lead follow-up is really important because most people come in and they spend time planning, right? It shouldn't yeah. be analysis every day. It should be I, on Monday. I call these people every week. And when I get in the office, I just go right to it. Yeah. You waste so much time trying to figure out what to do that people don't do anything. And the system should enhance the conversations, not replace them. Right. I mean, most people as, so for us, we generate a lot of internet leads. We do get Google pay-per-click and we do Facebook retargeting. So when you're getting a thousand leads a month, you need those wow. things to be there to keep communication going. You need to have a process. Otherwise your thousand in a year is 12,000 and you have no way to follow up with that many leads yourself. So you need to have the auto texts and the auto emails and the voicemails and things that can just supplement your communication to keep them engaged because the average internet lead takes 12 to 18 months before they close. So you need 12 to 18 months of communication to figure out if this is really a buyer or seller or not. So you really just answered a question asked at the beginning of the interview is how do you maintain a high level of business when you start marketing the way you market? And that was it. You use systems, automation systems, because the relationship's not there yet. Right. You're just priming it to be able to engage when the time's right. Yeah. And, and I'll fall back on internet leads. I don't know. On, in luxury, that's obviously not the core of any business, but I think that in today's industry, if you want to work with buyers, it's the quickest way to generate income. If you find a good source and you know how to work them, it's also the most consistent, but it does take patience and consistent follow-up and a lot of grit work to get there, but it's a numbers game. If you can generate a hundred leads and one of them closes, figure out how to generate 500 leads. There's five transactions over 12 months. And for us, it was a matter of figuring out the most consistent lead source that we can control, which is Google pay-per-click for us. I don't want Zillow or Realtor or someone that controls the pricing, where the leads go, the exposure. I want to control it. And then how do I make that process better? I need to, number one, obviously call them. The average agent calls a lead one time. The average uh, internet lead takes eight to 12 conversations before you convert them. So if you're calling one time, you're never getting to the point to where they know, like, and trust you 
they're signing up on eight, 10 different websites already. And every agent's calling them at least once. You need to stand out there by continually And that's what the agents on the team are for, is to follow up, call eight times. Absolutely. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And you'll hear a lot of people talk about the ISA model where you hire a full-time five or six hours a day. Let's call it telecommunications guy. I mean, they're following up with your leads. They're texting your leads. They're keeping them warm until they're ready. And then they pass them off to your buyer's agent. There's all kinds of ways you can make that work, but you need that lead source to keep buyer's agents and even listing agents on your team happy. Otherwise, if they have to generate their own lead, own leads, they don't need you. Why am I paying you 50% if you're not giving me enough leads to be happy? Exactly. Well, I could give you some reasons, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, and I do think there's that, but for your business, especially it's probably coaching because you know, mentorship is also probably carries a lot of value Absolutely. and the systems you've got in place. So when they get that business, They've got the support. They don't have to hire people to help them. They can go churn out 10 deals in a month and never have to worry about the back end, the administration, that any of that stuff is getting properly done because that in and of itself is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, most, most agents, number one, they never get the confidence they need to be really good at this. They don't stay in the business long enough. They don't do enough transactions or they're scared of the phones. They don't talk to enough people. I always say start with stuff that's free or cheap because if you mess up, you're not losing anything other than your time. And that's great experience. If you start as a new agent buying leads and farming and you don't even know how to have conversations with them to convert them, you're wasting your money. So role play all the time. I don't care if you've been doing this for a week or 10 years, you should role play at least a few times a week on the phones and then probably a couple times a month on your listing presentation and your buyer presentation Again, I'll fall back on sports. Football is the best analogy. They train five or six days a week for one hour of games every week, right? I mean, they, Monday through Saturday is practice, training, film, and Sunday is the game. It should be the same in real estate. It's like you should have great skill sets. So when you get on the phone with that one really good lead, you don't lose it because you suck on the phones. You need to be confident. You need to drive the conversation pick up on things, know how to mirror their energy and their tone. It takes a lot of energy to be good on the phones and a lot of practice. And most people just never get there. Yeah. I mean, what you, I was going to say, what take, what does make you good at that? But it's what you said, mirroring, asking practice. the right questions. Yeah, it's practice. I got an objection. I wrote it down. Now I need to role play that with someone who can tell me how I could handle that better next time. And I'm going to go oh, through yeah. it until I internalize that. And it just becomes a natural response because scripting is great to start with. But if you haven't, I think what makes someone really good is they're not always thinking about what to say before the client or the consumer says something. Cause that's where people get caught up is they're thinking about the next question and they're not listening to what the person's saying when they're talking to them. We can replay that 10 times. <laughs> Amen. I mean, that is my thing. Like you gotta listen. Yep. Um, Next question, like question number two, that one was 10, but those are great answers and great insights. The second one is if there's a book that we've just got to read that's changed your life or career, what is it? Um, I'll give you a couple. I don't know if there's one. Tim S. Grover wrote Relentless. Love that book. That's great, right? Um, yes. If you are a sports person, you haven't read it, you have to. I mean, he trained Jordan, Kobe. That Wayne book Payton. is awesome. 
amazing. And I, I don't, I'm not a babysitter. My personality is not soft. I'm not going to coddle everyone here. And that's Tim is very direct and blunt. And I think people need that sometimes where someone's not going to just make them feel good about picking up the phone and making one phone call. You need to have that drive to be the cleaner. You need to be yeah. the person that's going to get the job done no matter what. And that's, that's one of the things that, I enjoy. That book had me laughing out loud because it's so good, but he's, it's kind of narcissistic, but yeah. like in a great way. It's justified in my opinion. Exactly. My, what, what's your biggest takeaway from that book? Well, the one thing I would say that stood out more than anything for me was some of the stories about Kobe and how he would be at the gym at 3.30 in the morning and call Tim and say, hey, I need you to come over here and work with me. And he's like, oh, you're just getting up? He's like, no, I've been here for three hours, right? It's, it's that mindset of this is the only thing I care about and I'm going to work relentlessly to be the best at it. And that was what I really enjoyed was like when he talks about turning it on too with Jordan, how no matter what happened, he, was, he showed up every game. Yeah, that me is like, if you can show up every day and you don't lose a day or two a week from fatigue or being hung over, just being down because yeah. you're working with tough clients, that's a game changer too. My favorite thing from that book, I think it was with Kobe. I don't remember. I'm not even a sports person. I don't even, I, didn't, I only knew who Michael Jordan was reading it, but I still appreciate it. He was on the basketball court and he was having a rough bout and he had this quote, which is kind of your point. Like, how do you stay relentless? I'm the more sweet coddling, but like never quit tight. But anyway, <laughs> he pulls out a quote and it's in order to have what you really want, you must first be who you really are. Absolutely. Take it like that was it. I read the whole book, loved it. But that quote, I was like, yep, that's it. Um, next, what was the other book? Um, I really like David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me. I don't know if you've. <gasps> read that one next on my list right next to fortitude by dan crenshaw really i mean it's yeah it's in i'm about to read that story. yeah yeah and i think again it's it's a grit thing right and and the ability to work through any situation that's put in front of you and not because i think especially the younger generations have this i deserve mentality and they don't want to work for it they don't want to put in the years it takes to become successful and for David, it was a matter of he had demons and also a terrible upbringing, but he still pushed through. And now today he's the most regimented, insane person in the world, in my opinion, with his health and fitness and the ultra marathons, the things that he does. It's just incredible personal strength and mental strength. And what a, what a disservice to not have the privilege to be that person. Yeah. Know, what a disservice. Um, Wayne Dyer. I don't know if you knew who that is. I've heard the name. So he was, a, he was considered one of the three greatest spiritual leaders alongside Eckhart Tolle and um, I don't remember the Deepak Chopra. Okay. But he said, do not, this was the old, this was one of his first famous speeches. It's actually a speech. It's called No Limits People or something. But anyway, he said, do not take away from your children the privilege to struggle. Like when they have the yeah. ability to push through and earn it and be it and know, like when you get to know what you're really made of, what better place to find peace and happiness. And once you find that, you can have anything. You can yeah. achieve anything. You can, grit is nothing. But without that, Fortitude, yeah. I'm sending you that book and yeah. I can't wait to read Can't Hurt Me. 
It's really good. And everybody read Relentless again. So Mark Noah, my friend, who's he's been on the show a couple of times. Okay. He's from LA. He actually sent me that book when I met him. And then no, he didn't no, he sent that the first book was Never Eat Alone. And then he sent me that book a year later. Great. Okay. As you know. Anyway. So I'm just taking the opportunity to hashtag Mark Noah and tag him in the podcast. That's all. But last question. Okay. If there's one thing we take away from this interview and we're just going to forget the rest of it, what should we remember? What would you hope? I, I would say, remember that it's a business. It's not a hobby. It's not a job. You need to have different pillars that a traditional business has. You need to have marketing. You need to have customer service. You need to have all these things in place, systems, processes, people to where you can, again, step away. Because I think the hardest part for most people is this business will consume your life. And you'll either have a lot of resentment because you miss out on things, your kids growing up, trips, things you want. Even though you make the money, you couldn't leave because you have no way of continuing this business if you left. And I, I think the other side of this is if you treat it like a business, and I would always say, uh, Tony Robbins says, if you don't build a business, like you're going to sell it at some point, you don't have a business worth building. So if you think about if I was going to turn this over to someone and they were going to pay me for this business, is it worth anything? Do I have written procedures? Do I have processes, things that don't need me? Someone else could learn how to do it. If you don't have that stuff, you'll never grow beyond yourself because you won't be able to teach someone or you won't take the time it takes to teach them how to do it the right way. And I think that like anything else, a standard operating procedure goes so far because it doesn't need you. It can be passed to any person and they can learn it. Maybe not a hundred percent, but 80. And then you can come in and, and finish out that last 20 that they need help with. But if you don't build it, like you're going to leave at some point, it's just going to be a job for the rest of your life. I love it. Remember, build it like you're going to leave or like you're going to sell it. Exactly. And you said marketing, customer service, systems and processes, and people. people. Yep. People's the hardest. Always. If you've got marketing, customer service, and systems and processes, the people get easier. Well, right? I mean people on your team. That's the hardest part. Well, systems and processes make them easier. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think uh, you tell a me. conversation <laughs> of how to hire good people. But that's, in my opinion, the hardest thing in our industry is, again, most people don't do the work. So when you bring them in and they have that give it to me mindset, it's really hard to get them to the point where they want to work 40 or 50 hours a week because that's what it takes, especially the first 20 years. I was going to say a few years. I mean, you really, yeah. it's a big business. How do, you, how do you identify those people? Is it a matter of picking, select, picking them out, finding a way to draw them in? I, I, I will say that is something very few people have figured out and I have not to a T for me. It's do we gel it? Will you fit our culture? Yeah, I'm gonna, culture. In the, in the interview process, I'm going to give you pushback and see how you respond to it. Uh, someone here told me that this guy, they know he's the broker. They would have interview process with other people. And when they finally made it to me with a broker, some point during the interview, he would say, you know, so-and-so told me that you were a rock star. I'm not really getting that vibe. 
And he would say that to see how they would respond. Do they have grit? Do they have confidence? Or are they really soft? And when it gets hard, they're not going to want to do the work. And I thought that was great because it's, it's really early on finding out, do you have the grit and do you believe you're a rock star? Do you believe that you're going to be great? Or are you just an agent who wants to hang your license somewhere because that's what you think you should do right now? Wow. What a good, like, that's great. Like I can only imagine the responses he got. Oh, I, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall on that one. All right. So before we take this out, this is an, this is a longer than usual, but really fun, interesting interview. Thank you. I think you took, a, you. Like, took away a lot for people to work with. So to get more of your insight, I know you've got a workshop coming up online. We're it's doing free. a, a right. full day free virtual event uh, on October 15th. We've got 16 or 17 presenters. They're all doing a topic within one of five categories. Basically what we talk about, marketing, lead generation, personal branding, communication or systems. And these are all people that either own, like for instance, we have uh, LionDesk, GGMS Coaching, Brokerment. We've got people that own companies like that. We have team leaders, top producers, broker owners, a great group of people. They're all doing 15 minute presentations with five awesome. to 10 minute Q and A's after it's live and it's completely free. So anyone that wants to go check it out, can I drop that site right now? Please. It's reignite, R-E-I-G-N-I-T-E, virtualevent.com. Again, that's reignitevirtualevent.com and it's free. Uh, We'll send out all the recordings, even if you can't make it to one or all of them, we will send out all the recordings afterwards. So if you just sign up, regardless wow. of whether you make it, you're going to get them. And that's and October 15th at what time? It's going to start at 8 a.m. and it's going to go all day. Wow. I'll definitely be registering so I can at least get the recordings. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it's hard for people to break away for that long, I understand, but... Yeah. Uh, it'd be a lot of great content. They're all creating unique presentations for this event. And I think that as far as, cause I think this has been a real interesting year for most agents yeah. between COVID and everything in general. Um, I think a lot of people need some new inspiration or things that they can implement today that changes their business in 90 days. Well, I think like buying houses or at least in Atlanta, everybody's moving in second home markets. Everybody's reconsidering. Okay. What do I really want? Not just out of my home and right. our business, but, Realtors like, how do I really want my business to run? What do I really want out of it? Yeah. And this is a great chance to get on and ask questions. And on the reignitevirtualevent.com, that's R-E-I-G-N-I-T-E virtualevent.com. Correct. Are you going to have kind of a program of what, who goes on when at what time? So everybody knows when they might want to chime in and ask their live questions. Yeah. So when you register, we send out an email. That email is going to have a link to our Facebook group for the event. And then we'll send out a couple emails between now and the next two weeks with all of our schedule. We're still trying to figure out, it's hard to get all these people on one schedule just based on their schedules, but especially with, in our business. Yeah. So we're lining everyone up this week. So you'll get an email between now and the event with who's presenting on what topic and what time they'll have their own unique URL for each of those presentations. And again, if you can't make one or any of them, you're going to get every recording and email the next week. So you'll get all that's the incredible. Awesome. Yeah, we're excited about it. Thank you, AJ. So AJ Powers with Powers is Powers Premier. Correct. I, I keep wanting to do it backwards, but Powers Premier in San Diego. Correct.
Thank you. And everybody, you can obviously find them at reignitevirtualevent.com. And do you want to share a website in addition to that? Or Sure. Um, the, our company that's putting this on is called Restructure. And we're restructureteam.com. And that's where you can get a hold of me there. All the emails and everything goes right to me. Um, and that's a little bit more of our consultation and courses and things that we do separate from our brokerage. But that's where you can get a hold of me. Great. AJ, awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for being Thank on the you. show. I really enjoyed it.